Blog Talk Radio. is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show, so if bad language, bodily function, or dirty talk of any kind might offend you, this may not be the show for you, but we both know that's why you show up in the first place. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com. It is the Merry Merry Month of Morrison because her birthday was this month. And she is doing her social media sale of her limited edition candles. So check out the Wicked Witch Studios page on Facebook and get those limited edition pieces while they're still available. You've got 10 days left, 11 days left, y'all. That's it. And then she shuts it down. And then you've got to wait for the next thing she does because she's amazing like that. Okay. So I am so lucky that... This wonderful person decided to say yes and come on the show. With me tonight is Rachel Henderson, author of So Witchy, totally cool book and super gorgeous, and The Scent of Lemon and Rosemary, working with domestic magic with Hestia. Rachel Henderson, hello, babe. Hello. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Well, thank you for coming on. You know, we were talking before we went on the air Um, it's amazing how people come to the deities that that they arrive at. But before we get into that, tell me how you became a pagan. Tell me the history that that transported you from whatever the previous religion was. Because I know most of us have come from some other uh, religious background. So tell me the story of how this happened. Um, yeah, I was actually raised Baptist. Uh, my great, my grandmother, my grandparents both were uh, active in our Baptist church, um, and they would take me and my siblings to church to kind of give my parents a break uh, on Sunday mornings. And I actually was very active in it. I taught Sunday school and went to church camp, and uh, but I always was very much um, a weird child. And so I would, uh-huh. you know, I, I, I would never feel any kind of connection to uh, this Christian God um, in church. I would feel something when I was out in nature, and whenever I would say, well, maybe I'm a witch, uh, I would get uh, negative feedback from uh, the church group about, well, you know what the Bible says about witches. Uh, so it really wasn't until I graduated and left for college when uh, around that time I started feeling a presence that I have now uh, learned is um, my spirit helper, uh, which is a turtle. Um, and that kind of started this uh, very, very gradual um, 
turn to paganism and uh, because I was very much in the beginning, uh, I was like, no religion, I'm done, I'm not going to be part of anything organized, I'm going to be, you know, I'll be a agnostic at most. And it was mm-hmm. this very many years of uh, reading and kind of doing this connection and it hasn't actually been until the last, I would say, decade or so that I fully am comfortable with calling myself a pagan, calling myself a witch. Um, it just was, it took me a long time to, to get there, and now I fully embrace it. That's wonderful. And, you know, we, I didn't realize we had something similar in common. My parents, my mother was originally a pagan, and then because of my father, she became a Pentecost. So my, I was raised by two Pentecostal parents who were preachers, you can only imagine the shit I went through. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They're yeah. like, yeah, not a witch. No, throw her shit out. Because I had been collecting books for years as a kid. I mean, when I was a kid, there weren't a whole lot to collect. But, like, I had um, the complete book of witchcraft, and I had, you know, at some point I had bought Civil Week's Diary and, Patricia Crowther's books, and I mean, all these different old-timey things that was a thing when I was a kid, and I just remember my mother saying to me, did you throw that book out yet? And I'm like, because she only knew about the one, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I threw it out, I hid it, it's somewhere, I don't know, and she never found it. I still have my original copy of the complete book of witchcraft. It's whole, it was written in like 1972. Little paperback book. It's hilarious. So that's excellent. It became a page. I didn't even have yeah, access just, to any of that. Um, really? I grew up in the middle of Wyoming. Yeah. So we, uh, the very first pagan book I ever saw actually was uh, and, and owned was um, Cunningham's uh, Solitary Wicca. Um, and wow. that was kind of like, but yeah, I, I Cunningham, who is kind of like the gateway, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and but before that, uh, most a lot of my understanding of uh, witchcraft and magic and that sort of thing actually came from science fiction and fantasy. I was was and still am a huge science fiction and fantasy nerd and grew up on like the Marion Zimmer Bradley anthology sort and sorceress yes. and uh mm-hmm. yeah, all of that Mists of Avalon and, and all of that which uh informed a lot of my early understanding of magic and witchcraft and uh just things that are outside of normal reality. Yeah. I love all that stuff, too, back in the day. It was amazing. You know, part of your description says shield maiden, and every time I hear the term shield maiden, I think of the Society of Creative Anachronism, or for Creative Anachronism. (laughs) I was going to ask you if you were a member of the SCA, because anytime I see that term, I'm like, oh, I wonder. Um, actually, I am not. Uh, th- that title was bestowed on me by my husband. Uh, we have been together for 14 years now, and um, he told me he's he's a, a Viking. He's uh, very much a follower of uh, Odin and Freya and Loki. And when he and at one point he's like, "You're my shield maiden. You're 
you're the one who's by my side. And uh, so I was like, yeah, yeah, I, that's kind of what I, I run support. I am a tanky person and uh, a tank as in um, if you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons or role play, uh, tabletop game role play, the tank is the person who yeah. will take hits. And I have discovered that that's kind of, I'm there to like kind of take hits and, and um, you know, help people stand back on their feet. So that's where the shield maiden came from. <laughs> well, I think it's, you know, having spoken with you, even a little bit that we spoke before, and, you know, seeing you on Llewellyn Con, I love those author roundtables for the Llewellyn Con. Check them out. Um, but, you know, you exuded this amazing sense of peace. But before I ask you about that, so, okay, you became a pagan, after a while, after a slow evolution, and then how did you start leaning into witchcraft from there? Um, that was actually through, most of it came, um, let's put it this way, when my daughter was four in 2008, I got divorced. And I had been out of the job market for four years. Once I got had my daughter, it was decided that it would be cheaper for me to stay at home rather than uh, pay for childcare. And so I, it's 2008, the bottom has fallen out of everything. Uh, I am newly divorced, I have a four year old, and I'm like, what the heck am I gonna do? So I started sewing. And as I was sewing for, to support us, I would do things like use only green colored pins when I put stuff together, because I'm like, okay, money magic. So I'm gonna imbue this with prosperity that. and money magic and oh my God. and <laughs> when I would go to uh when I'd vend at places I had a little money jar that I would put to encourage you know, to encourage people to come by and buy. And I uh you know, I found that to be a very natural like I had tons of tarot cards. I still have tons of tarot cards because I have a problem which I think all of us or a good portion of us yeah. understand that you see something pretty nope. and you're just like, no, give me the pretty pictures. Uh, but I had those. I had all this, a lot of the accoutrement of uh, witchiness, but I found that what really, where I would use it in my life is in the practical things of, okay, I am making something. I, we need money. I need to pay for food and bills and everything. So let's work my witchy will here. And so a lot of it, you know, drawing runes on my sewing machine in marker while I was working to just kind of uh, so that I would work true and so the bobbin thread wouldn't uh, run out like five inches before I needed it to stop and stuff like that. Uh, so that was a lot of my, I didn't expand into, um, into any kind of witchcraft that didn't involve either sewing or household stuff until like a couple years ago. Wow. No, that's incredible. I think that's, you know, because you were doing a lot of the things intuitively anyway. You know, I, I started to laugh when you said the green pens because I've been using green pens for probably 20 years now because of Money Magic. And now everyone I work with is using a fucking green pen. I'm like, that's my pen. Put it down. And everybody <laughs> grabs the green pens now. It's hilarious. 
because you can feel that energy, you know, especially if you've, if you've projected any kind of intent on it, people feel energy. They are attracted to that energy. So you've been through some stuff, obviously. Anybody who's ever been divorced has been through some stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that adds to my appreciation of your energy. You know, we, I, I've heard other people say, there's this energy about this book, and, you know, the, the title is great, and the cover is great, and the information is great. But I got to say, it's all you. It emanates really. The book is wonderful, so Witchy is, is a great book, too. But you project this kind of peace and, 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 and you know, very grounded. And I will tell you, as somebody who has been through through some stuff myself, I've been married three times, um, yeah, sometimes it's very hard for me to find that peaceful place. So how did you get to that point where you could just breathe through things and just not get hysterical like I often do? Um, I have a lot <laughs> of anxiety that I'm dealing with. You know, we were talking earlier, and, you know, I think a lot of us are dealing with anxiety, but you've got such peace and and comfort, and I just, I find it very attractive and alluring, and like I said earlier, I'm amazed people are not bashing down your door to just suck up some of that energy. Oh, yeah, I, I, I would hope they don't, because that would lead to more anxiety, but um, thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, a good portion of it is therapy and medication. Um, I am very much a uh, herbs and magic for symptoms and for healing and yes. uh, medicine for dealing with what's, what's wrong with you. Um, and mm-hmm. up until about um, nine, ten years ago, I had undiagnosed anxiety and depression and the minute that um, actually Obamacare became uh, law, that opened up access for me for health care, and it, particularly mental health care. And that, I think, was uh, along with then my growing um, relationship with Hestia actually is what kind yeah. of has helped me get to a point. Um, also, I, I lost my house in 2018 um, and spent about my family and I spent about six weeks homeless so there there came a point in time where I was like okay there this is not the worst thing to happen but it's pretty bad and um, once you kind of hit that place where you're like okay this is bad but we survived it helps to kind of give you that that resilience that you can just look back on and be like look um, I've been in bad places before and I've survived and so um, I think I can survive whatever comes next. Wow. I mean, yes. I mean, I identify with that. I have chronic anxiety, which was recently diagnosed. And when I say recently, I'm like talking about 2022, officially diagnosed. Um, I was having panic attacks when my kids were little because my husband used to threaten to steal them and take them to England, which is where he was from. Um, But that stopped after I realized what a lying sack of shit he was and that he wasn't going to steal anything because he didn't really want the kids. He just wanted to fuck me up as much as possible. 
So that stopped. But recently I've had some scary events, and it has just triggered a whole bunch of recurring panic attacks, to be honest with you. And I don't know if it's because of the state of the world. I'm sure it's a lot of that. Um, and, you know, my husband's accident, which I've mentioned, folks who listen to the show know all about it. Um, but I just have this ball of anxiety. So now I'm on medication, too, not only for that, but for ADD, apparently. Um, <laughs> you would think that may not be the case, but yes, it is. I have attention <laughs> deficit disorder, along with chronic anxiety. Wow. And, you know, and I can, I can make sense of the fact that, you know, the idea of Roe v. Wade not being a thing anymore freaks me out. It just does. I, I can't imagine that I'm going to leave this plane and folks are not going to have access to the things I had access to. It scares me. Not that I'd ever need it, but young people will. It is um, it is a scary world out there. I'm sorry that you're having uh, panic attacks. They are awful. Um, the first time I had one, I thought I was dying. Uh, and, yeah, yeah it's um, I highly recommend. I know that there tends to be this stigma around taking medication or getting therapy, but um, we all have tools. That, I mean, they're just tools in our toolbox to help ourselves, and why would you not avail yourselves, if you can, of what, anything and any, everything to help you be able to live your best life? Um, I have no shame whatsoever in uh, taking medication. In fact, I have just recently, over the last uh, couple months, stopped saying that I struggle with mental health issues, and, but more that I'm living with mental health issues. But that's because I feel like yeah. I, I am to that point now, as opposed to maybe a couple of years ago where it was still hard. Like it, It's not easy, and it takes time. Again, my uh, 2013, 2013 was when I had a really bad uh, episode and uh, was suicidal. So... You know, it, it takes a while to find that balance, but it's totally worth it. And I always encourage people to look at everything, every possibility, and take every opportunity to help themselves get better. I totally agree. You would take medicine if you had a headache. You would take other medicine if you had cancer. If there's something wrong exactly. with you or you need, if you need something, don't. Don't refuse it because you think it's a weakness. It is not a weakness. We are all dealing with so much in so many different ways. A lot of folks during the pandemic lost loved ones. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the get people who come on the show fairly often lost like four family members in less than two months. I mean, just insane, crazy stuff that we're all dealing with. So. I'm, I'm so happy that we're able to talk about this out loud now because, you know, many years ago and for most of my life, people didn't want to talk about it. My father was mentally ill. And if, if we could have talked about it, he, A, might still be alive, and B, might have gotten the help that he needed. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's so many things that we're all dealing with, and, and I'm so glad you said that about, Use the tools, all the tools, whatever you have access to. Yep. Uh, it's no different from uh, doing 
looking and deciding, okay, I need to, I need to do work for bringing money in or for happiness. And I, what do I have? I have candle spells. I have uh, kitchen witchery. I have uh, gemstones. You, it, there are all sorts of tools, and it's just finding the right one for that. Um, it's very funny you were talking, not funny, but uh, I see the similarity of you saying that your father had mental health issues because I know that there are mental health issues in my family um, that I've pieced together from stories people have told, but my family doesn't talk about that. Uh, it's one of the reasons I'm very yeah. vocal about and talk about it myself because I want my kids to know what their history is. My own daughter has... Um, had to do therapy and medication as well, and I don't want her, uh, when she goes out in the world, if a doctor asks her for her medical history, I don't want her to have a blank. Like, I had a blank, and I think yeah. when we talk about things like generational curses and issues yeah. like that, silence helps perpetuate those. Um, and the way we break those generational cur curses are by talking about our lived experiences and what's going on and letting our future generation know why things are the way they are. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because we went from a household where only one of us was taking medication, and I will be very honest with you, everyone in my family right now is taking something for anxiety. And... <laughs> There's no shame in our game. Any one of us are happy to talk to you about it. Um, you know, it's not like getting doped up. It's just about hitting that place where you know that there are things bothering you, but you can deal. There is help out there. And I just want anybody who feels stigmatized to not feel stigmatized. You, you know, you can hit me up on social media and I'll talk to you about it. No problem. We're all supposed to be in this together, so, you know, yep. I, I'm glad you said and all we, of that. I really am. We've, yeah, we made a, we've made a ritual of it uh, at night. Uh, my daughter and I, we have our meds. My son, uh, she, my son he, um, he takes half of melatonin. So we all get together and we go ding and we kind of do a little cheers thing with our, our individual meds and we take them and then go on with the rest of our life or rest of our night because that yeah. helps not only destigmatize it, but it becomes a ritual. And that's how you start doing things that then magically help you feel better too, is by consciously doing them. That's interesting. I think I might encourage my family to do that, where we all take it together, either in the morning or in the evening, whenever everybody decides to do it. I think that's sweet. I think that's lovely that you, you know, you celebrate each other and you respect the struggles that you're each going through and, and you share in it as a family. And I think that's a wonderful thing. But now I want to talk about Hestia. And I, okay. we were talking earlier before we went on. And, you know, in a world where everybody wants to be Aphrodite or Athena, you're like, eh. How does that happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it doesn't really happen by choice. Um, okay. I first be, I first became aware of Hestia uh, back in 1999, um, and I was I again I was I'm a real big reader, so even before I was when I was 
still in my kind of agnostic period. I was reading lots of um, books on uh, paganism and various other religions and just pretty much whatever I could get my hands on. And uh, I came across Hestia, and I was like, oh, home. That's really nice. And I grew up in uh, an environment where there were two types of homes. There was a home where you didn't really feel safe in, uh, but there was my mm-hmm. grandmother's and my grandparents' home. Uh, which was always in my memory is always full of flowers and their big vegetable garden and their pantries full of uh, all of their canned goods from their garden and they had a little orchard and uh, it was a place that you could go and that you were loved and uh, fed and just kind of were allowed to roam and play and when I came across Hestia, my brain just kind of did this little ting, and I was like, I, I recognize that. Um, and then it sat for many, many years. <laughs> because uh, yeah. Hestia recognized that I was not ready. Um, and so it wasn't until uh, around the time that I lost my house that uh, I was you know, reacquainted with Hestia, and she was kind of like, okay, are you ready? Are you ready now? And um, even then, I still wasn't ready just yet. I went through uh, first and kind of an apprenticeship, a -a year-and-a-day apprenticeship with Hecate, because at the time I needed needed that kind of energy and that kind of um, uh, offensive, defensive kind of... uh, magic and then once uh i was through with her then hesse's like okay are you ready now and i was like yeah okay yeah i'm i'm ready and she's like great now let's get to work you're going to write a book about me and i'm like oh okay (laughs) sure what 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 do you want the book to be about (laughs) and that's how i ended up writing a what has been described as a witchy home economics book that ends with yeah. A big old rant on anti-capitalism and anti-cultural uh, appropriation. <laughs> yeah. Because no, Hestia, I think, uh, I think a lot of you people, know, if they know about Hestia, their view of Hestia is very um, uwu, very, oh, I'm just a little hearth goddess and I just, you know, sit in the kitchen and I'm all about kitchen witchery. And uh, don't realize that she was, you know, there's a reason she was called the first and the last, and the first portion was given to her. And statesmen uh, in ancient Greece would make their civic uh, oaths to her and on her uh, because ancient Greece recognized, look, we are all, you know, it's a community. And based off of smaller building blocks, which are the family and uh, you can't have, you know, they're all interconnected. Um, Definitely. And you know, so that's kind of how I, that came about. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, again, because we don't really talk about her, and I think the gods you ignore are the gods that are going to come knock your head off sometime and say, <laughs> hmm, really, are we going to ignore me now? I don't think so. Um, but I can see where people, some folks might be like, I don't really know if she's calling me because they, they want something quote unquote more exciting. And can you kind of 
um, did she speak to you? Did she give you signs? Was she tapping you on the shoulder? Did you really have to lose everything before she got your attention? Um, I don't. I don't really see it as that I lost everything to, for her to get my attention. It was more she was waiting for the right time. Uh, Hestia is very much a do the work. It's very much a I will work with you, but I'm not going to carry you. And uh, when we started really connecting, I um, I journey. I do. I, I consider myself a hedge witch, so I do a lot of uh, journeying on the astral. And I have a place that I go to where I work magic. And she started showing up there. Um, I had been there before working with Hecate, and then one day I show up, and she's there, and she's like, "All right, let's let's start. It's it's time to get to work." So a lot of my communication with her for myself comes from. Uh, working on the astral with her. Um, and it's gotten to the point where now uh, I will talk to her uh, kind of in my mind on days where I'm like, okay, this is what's going on and um, do check-ins. I know that for uh, having heard from other people that uh, follow Hestia, that it's, it's always just very gentle. It is never loud. It is never in your face. It's always um, very much like... Uh, putting on your favorite sweater that's cozy or sitting and having some tea with your favorite aunt. Uh, it's very, it's not motherly. Um, her energy is much more, she's not a mother goddess. It's not uh, that kind of energy. It's more like with your, your favorite aunt or with, you know, a grown up um, woman that you've always had, uh, who's always just, treated you like an adult and talked straight with you and the, you know, the person you would go to for advice when you couldn't talk to your mom. That's very much her energy. Yeah. Like the safe space when, you know, because Hera's definitely got more of an attitude and, you know, Demeter is very much the mommy, but, you know, Hestia from your description comes to me as a very safe space. And I think safe spaces yeah. are something that we're all really looking for now kind of more than ever. Do you find that to be true? Yes. Oh, I absolutely do. And I don't think that it is in any way um, a, it, that it is a coincidence or anything like that that uh, I wrote this book in the first six months of the pandemic. Um, I had pitched the book already, and Llewellyn had said, yep, we're interested in this, and I had scheduled. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to have six months to write this. Uh, I'm going to have the house to myself. This is going to be great. And two months into my writing, everybody was home. Kids were home. Mm -hmm. My husband was home. Uh, Our housemates at the time were home, and it was I'm sitting there trying to write, and there's all this just press of people around me and Hestia was just like, look, you know, I didn't say it was going to be easy. You just got to get the work done. Uh, so yeah, it's safe. No nonsense does not, uh, will give you lots of grace, but, uh, will also call you on your BS. Yeah. It does not abide foolishness. I can tell. <laughs> which reminds me of you in a lot of regards because I see you as being that kind of safe-loving person, but if you fuck around, fuck around and find out because she's going to knock you down. 
do the right thing. I don't. I just don't see you as a person who suffers fools gladly, and I respect that. I love that. Um, Thank you. And I'm really, I'm very interested in your relationship with Hestia, because from other other conversations I've heard you have, it's not real. I mean, do you consider it a, uh, a, a not really a worship, but is it more of a real partnership, or is this a deity that you do love, honor, and respect, but you also can have a partnership with? And I think that's very difficult for a lot of folks to achieve. And if you could talk about that a bit, I would love that. Oh, sure. Um, it is a partnership. I have never been very comfortable with uh, worshiping anything. I, when I walked away from Christianity, I was like, I'm not interested in worshiping a goddess any more than a god. And uh, I think that might be one of the reasons why Hestia approached me, because Hestia, uh, my relationship with her is, is very much a partnership. I mean, I was we both respect each other and again she you know she was totally did not have issues when i was working with hecate because she's like no you that's what you need to do right now i mean at the time i was going through a um a horrible court case with my ex-husband and i needed i needed that energy uh and Hesky's like i'm i'm not about that so you you go work out what you need to do and when you're done then come back and we'll we'll get to work, uh, but it's it's very much um, being on equal footing. She is not she has never for me has never come across as someone who needs uh, lots of offerings or fancy offerings or you know flowery language. Uh, again, very much a no nonsense, cut the BS kind of pers- kind of deity and entity and energy where it's she's more interested in how stuff gets done, or with stuff getting done, than how it gets done. She's more interested in kindness and in how you're treating other people as opposed to how much money's in your bank account, how many offerings you leave on uh, at her altar, which uh, you can see in the fact that she doesn't have a lot of, you don't see a lot of uh, guidance on what to set up for an altar for her. Most altars tend to be... Uh, just a candle and an offering bowl. Um, she doesn't even usually have a image. Uh, you can get statues of like a veiled woman that is Hestia, but in a lot of the iconography, you can see statues and murals and the like that depict the various gods, Zeus and Hera and uh, Hades and all of them. You don't see that with Hestia. Again, it's very much a, I'm in the background, I'm doing the work, I'm not interested in accolades or praises. I'm interested in making sure things run and making sure that everybody's fed and everybody's clothed and housed and everybody's safe. Yeah. I, you know, and people forget, she was one of the original 12, you know? I mean, she's entitled to you know, the title of Olympians just as much as any of the other Greek gods who claim it, you know, and I, I find it so interesting that we know so little about her and talk so little about her um, as pagans. This is pagans. 
you're like the first person I've I've ever spoken with who's that just you know has that kind of relationship with her or even deals with her at all. And I think it's a missed opportunity, especially now when the world feels less safe, that we need more of these safe spaces. And that seems to be her entire arena of making sure that things are okay and that there's people being kind and, you know, the work is getting done and that's how we move on to the next level. That is absolutely, um, really, that was her... There's not a lot of people, like you said, that worship Hestia. There's a few, there's a couple different, you can find them like on Facebook, a few little groups or on, uh, I don't think that she even has a subreddit. Um, but if you notice in the book, yes, there's parts like, uh, part of it is about working with her, but there's a huge part of it where it's just like, and here's how you do the cleansing and here are the spells and here's everything else. And that was very much, um, very much on a decision made not only by by myself but by Hestia of, look, I'm not looking for people. I want people to feel safe, and I want to give people the knowledge they need to make their their houses feel like a safe, cozy place. I'm not interested in furthering, like you know, expanding on what um, what my correspondences are, or what flowers are you should leave for me, or what my symbols are. Um, here, get out the the very basic myth and information, make sure you include stuff about how I am, you know, how I told Zeus to kind of fuck off when he was like, you should get married. But uh, no, I don't think I will. Uh, Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Include the stuff about, you know, don't go uh, appropriating things from other cultures. Make sure that everybody knows that I'm anti-capitalist because what even is that? Uh, Which kind of makes sense because you're talking from, you're talking to a deity who's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old looking at this capitalistic society that we're in going, what, what, is, what is wrong with you people? Why? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But well, it's, it's a practical it, book. It really is. Because I think a lot of our brains are kind of mushy because of all the social media stuff. It's really kind of crazy. Yeah, so, so it's the book is meant to not only be an introduction to Hestia, and she wants, she, you know, she definitely wants more people to to know about her, but not so much know about her as know about the information. Um, right. That that has always been our 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 united goal in this is um, yes, it would be you know great if people were as interested in Hestia as they were in, you know, uh, Hera or Demeter or um, mm-hmm. Aphrodite, Artemis, any of them. But she also understands that that she, you know, everybody gets different things from different relationships. And so, you know, what you have with her is going to be very different than what you're going to have from uh, other deities that, focus more on like beauty and strength and, and other aspects of your life. Again, the right tool for the right job. Such a practical goddess, you know, and, and <laughs> just want you to be able to take care of yourself. And I find it fascinating that we don't talk about her more, especially because of the pandemic, because we were cut off from 
really so many things. I mean, there were a lot of things that had to be done by the individuals in their homes because there wasn't access. You know, we're still having a supply management issue with getting things uh, brought into the country, things are sitting on docks, waiting to be trucked. There's not enough people to truck. There's not enough people to unload ships. There's not enough people to get the ships here from wherever they're coming from. I mean, it's insanity. And, you know, in a time of, of real desperation for some, you start to realize how little you actually know about how to make life run or your home, you know, run efficiently or successfully because, listen, I know my ass is spoiled, and it can't just be me. I am not the only spoiled bitch out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so no, it's, it's so true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, amazing. Talk, please. Thank you. I I really do feel like with the with the pandemic, where you know the, the phenomenon where everybody was making bread and everybody was making uh-huh. masks, that is very uh-huh. much that is that is hefty energy right there. Um, uh-huh. The fact that people all of a sudden we're spending time in places that they never really spent time in because if you work a nine-to-five job, you're getting up, you're leaving, you got your commute, uh, you're gone all day, you come back and you're, you're to this place that you only ever spend a few hours in uh, other than when you're sleeping. And so uh, that is very much Hestia energy where Hestia is, is, can be very useful in, again, just kind of, evaluating your space and going, where where does it not feel comfortable? Where does it not feel safe? And how can I make it that way? Because if we're going to be spending this much time in this place, it should be someplace that we feel safe. And if it doesn't feel safe, then how do you, like, that is that is the bottom of the, the hierarchy of needs is, is having safety. And how can you do anything else? if you don't have a place where you aren't worried that something terrible is going to happen, like, to you immediately physically or uh, even magically. Oh, absolutely. And this book is so multi-leveled because, again, it's not just about making things. It's about protection. It's about how to do all of the things, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's a primer for, for how to make your life work when things are kind of going to shit in a lot of respects. Not that that's the only thing it's for. It's also about safety. It's also about love. It's also about all the good things, too. But it's also about being prepared. And I think that's so important right now because, quite frankly, this pandemic it ain't over. You and I were talking about that earlier. And it can come back. Absolutely. As, exactly. as stronger than it was before. You know? Exactly. I, one of the things I really love is when uh, it was described as a witchy home economics book because that really encapsulated what I was trying to do. Um, the, when I was growing up, we had one home economics class in middle school where you uh-huh. got taught a little bit about cooking, a little bit about sewing, a couple other things, and that was it. And I've noticed that a lot of that, you know, even that little bit is no longer really on a lot of curriculums. And you have a lot of people uh, 
who have been not given skills, not and and just kind of thrust out on their own and not without any of the skills they need to make a home. And as cheesy and old fashioned as it sounds to be like a homemaker or making a home, that's an active process. That is something that you just don't immediately know. You don't innately know this. It's something that needs to be taught. There was a reason uh, back in the day that Mrs. Beecham's and all of these guides to housekeeping were very popular because these were skills that needed to be passed on. And I kind of, that's kind of how I modeled this book was, all right, let's give you the basics. I mean, there is so much more that I could have gone into, but I didn't want to overwhelm people first off. And also uh, a lot of this stuff was stuff that people didn't really need to know about. They just needed to to know, uh, give get a primer, a baseline of, oh, okay, these are ingredients I can use. Go wild, figure out how it works with your life. I, magic is very personal and very individual. Sure. And so I didn't want to go too deeply in it because I don't want people to feel like, oh, if I don't do it this way, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. That's not right. it at all. It, right. You need to, uh, everybody has their own magic on the inside of them that has its own resonance and so you need to make sure that that resonance and that the way you your your personality basically is infusing your magic so that it will work. And so this book is just it's only meant to be a to be a primer. It's meant to be a here is a springboard um, for you to then take and go and create your own rituals, create your own magic and live kind of your best life magically. I think a lot of people definitely uh, could benefit from even just having a little ritual when they leave the house in the, in the morning and when they come back in the evening that blesses them when they leave and cleanses them when they come back so they aren't dragging in a whole bunch of stray energy that they don't know where it came from into their homes. Oh, Sometimes you do know where it came from, and you need to leave that shit outside. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I work with some crazy people. Yep. I work with some. I work with some men who are not really big fans of women, especially women from the north, of which I am one. So yeah, sometimes they throw their ick on you, and it's like, did you scrape your shoes before you came in the house? God damn it, go fix that. So yeah, I mean, there's there are things that that are simple that we could do to perhaps cleanse ourselves a little bit more and take better care of ourselves and not necessarily drag that energy into the house and spread it to the other members of your family. I mean, that is something I really need to remember. Yeah, but I'm not good at it. So, you know, you're helping me get better (laughs) with doing these things. And and it's not just that, you know, you said earlier about, magic coming from within you, and the whole idea of making things by hand. Again, honesty, glittery witch likes to buy the things. Hilarious. Nothing wrong with that. Do more by hand. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It is, 
not everybody, like I completely encourage people to try to stuff, make stuff by hand. When I was sewing for myself mm-hmm. or, or sewing to, to sell, and I would be at an event and somebody would come by and they would look at my bags or whatever and they'd say, ah, oh, well, I, I could make that myself. I always, always told them I encourage them to do that because I would say, look, uh, either you will make it and you will have learned a new skill and you will have the confidence that I made this or you won't be able to make it and you'll be like, oh, okay, I can't do this. I, this is where I should be giving my money to somebody who knows how to do it. Um, and so I yeah. do not judge people who, if their witchcraft comes from things that they buy, there's, there's no shame in that. Uh, I, I do ask, ask people to kind of be um, conscious about where they get stuff, make sure that the stuff is, ex, you know, the crystals are ethically sourced, and I mean, there is a whole huge, a, a huge other topic that could take up another hour about um, being uh, conscious and sustainable in your magic. But there's no shame in that. There is no shame in being someone who's like, I. That's not how I express myself through making things. Um, everybody has a different talent, and like, I couldn't knit or crochet to say, I my brain just doesn't understand how you have two sticks that, or one stick and some thread or some yarn and it becomes a sweater. That's, I'm like, no, that, that's, that is magic right there. Um, woodworking is another thing. You know, there, there are, there are, you know, fixing mechanical things, not my wheelhouse, Mm -hmm. not something, Mm -hmm. uh, so everybody, you know, you find the things that you're good at and, the things that you aren't good at, you find other people to do, and that's how we build community, where no man is an island. No witch is her, you know, the only witch in the cauldron. I, that is a really horrible uh-huh. metaphor, So, but if anybody okay. wants to adopt that and massage it, <laughs> you can do that. Um, but that's the thing. That's, that's what community is, is a bunch of people who have their own skill sets that come together, and we all help each other out. And the minute we start getting rid of this idea of like bootstraps and rugged individualism and all this other uh, nonsense that has been baked into especially American society over the last, you know, century, once we start peeling that away, then we're going to be able to start building much more authentic communities where uh, we can get stuff done. And again, to tie this back to Hestia, that's kind of like her one of her mission statements, uh, not that she's corporate or anything, but that, look, we, we, we're all in this together, and we all sink or swim based on whether or not we work together. Agreed. Agreed, agreed, agreed. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's so true, though, because, you know, listen, before the pandemic, just technology alone makes everyone a fucking island if they're not, if they're not conscious about it. You know, there, there was a large period of time where we intentionally had to make the decision to go see people in person. You know, when I was a kid, there was no cell phone. When I was a kid, there was no mm-hmm. laptop. There was no computer. You know, the only way you got a hold of your friends was somebody stood downstairs, looked up at your window and said, hey, you coming out or what? And that's 
we weren't allowed to use the phone. The phone? Are you kidding? In my father's house? Please, don't even. But that's how we communicated, <laughs> face-to-face, or yelling out a window, whatever. But it, it involves seeing somebody and not having a choice. You know, you give people too many options. And listen, I'm just going to be honest. My ass is lazy. I already told you that, and y'all know that. Anybody who listens to my show knows I'm lazy to a fault, and I admit it. But that's, you know, I think it's so important to re-engage people with each other. And then you have a pandemic that tears them even more apart. So, you know, we can't keep going on that trajectory. If the pandemic hits again, we're, we're having to learn how to deal with this thing and keep living. And, you know, having skills that you can share with other people like, okay, I will fix your dress if you bake me a loaf of bread. Barter is still very worthy as a, as a mm-hmm. manner of being and trading and acquiring the things you need to have your family run. Now, I know we're not going back necessarily to the Stone Age where it's like, you know, living in groups and the men go hunt and the women gather or whatever it is or people just going and finding whatever they can. Um, you know, but we've got to, I think, do more to take care of ourselves and not rely so heavily on corporations to take care of things because we see that's not working. And the government, you never know if it's ever going to work. I mean, it's just all questionable. And I think the more the individual knows and can pass on to their children or their friends or, you know, whatever relative, whomever, just to pass that knowledge on seems to be really important and something we've forgotten about. Yeah, and this is this is where I think that um, technology can really, really help here. Like, I get that um, there is very much a serious concern about people's uh, social media habits and uh, the way that we now seem to uncritically consume uh, news and media and the like. Um, I also think that it is absolutely fucking amazing that I have this little device in my hand that gives me access to any knowledge that I could ever want. I, I'm Gen X. I remember going and looking up stuff in the guide to periodicals. Uh, I remember card catalogs and um, all of that. And the fact that I can type in any question and get the answer is amazing to me. What I feel often now these days is that what we lack is, again, that uncritical that we don't have, we have not passed on the skills to look at something and evaluate whether or not it's true, evaluate whether or not uh, the information is real. And that's a real failing, I think, on uh, society's part not to prepare people and, and teach them how to, how to be that way. Um, yeah. But there are so many people who, especially, you know, during the pandemic, that it, having that technology allowed so many people to still be able to maintain contact. And, uh, like, I have, um, again, I have anxiety and depression. I went through a period where I had very severe uh, agoraphobia where I couldn't even, like, leave the house to go across the street to get the mail. And, 
during that time having the access of being able to text or instant message friends uh, really helped me be able to uh, maintain some sort of like normalcy. Uh, yeah. Seeing people face to face, you know, I have friends who I've been friends with for 20 plus years and have never met them face to face. And I think there's room there for not only the, the in real time, in real space, meeting and interacting with people and also in this new plane where it's um, not the astral, it's not the real, it's this other kind of in-between plane that I think is really interesting and I am excited to see if we can get to the point where we're not just mindlessly uh, taking in every tweet that somebody sends uh, that we could do some very interesting things uh, both uh, magically and um, mundanely with the internet and with that kind of interconnectivity. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think the whole thing about people being led astray, quote unquote, from news that they may get on the internet is because as a kid, for me, we were told that you can't say something. You can't report something as fact if it's a lie. And that, that is how that all started, where everything public must be true, because previous generations were taught that if you say it out loud or they put it in the paper, it can't, it's, you can't get in trouble if, if you lie. Well, over the years, lies became okay, and it didn't really resonate with people because a lot of older folks like myself were still in that mindset of, well, if they say it on the news or they're saying it in the newspaper or they're saying it on the Internet now that we have the Internet, well, you can't lie in public. Well, yeah, you fucking can, and they do it all <laughs> the time. So I think that's yeah. where the trajectory of that came from. And, you know, I, oh, God, I could talk your ear off for hours. Um <laughs> So I, <laughs> oh my God! Okay, so we talked a little bit about, or a lot of it, about anxiety, which I have chronically. You have some of it too. Many, many people do. Um, I wanted to ask you about making a safe space for yourself in a place where you may not have safety. And, and how you would go about doing that. Because sometimes we're in situations where we're not home or we're not in a, a room that we feel safe in or just all of the things that make you feel uncomfortable. So I was going to ask mm -hmm. what your, your thoughts were about creating a safe space that's not necessarily in your own space. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that is an uh, excellent question and uh really good topic to look into. I am very big, first off, on scents, um, where if you can find a scent that makes you feel safe and bring it with you, um, like have a, a little rollerball for, and it doesn't have to be perfume. It can just be uh, a few drops of like uh, rosemary essential oil in some uh, carrier oil. Uh, that you can then 
if you're in a space where you're not feeling safe, you can then pull that out and the scent can help center you and um, remind you to put shields up. You should, uh, I'm very big on shielding if you're going out anywhere, yeah. that you should have some sort of magical uh, psychic shield around you just as, you know, as protection from not only stray but also intentional malicious energy, magic, and the like. Um, there's a reason why people have carried talismans for centuries. You know, the um, the I can't remember the term right now, and it's hilarious because I just did a workshop on uh, household protection magic. But the 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 eyes um, that uh, the blue eyes. Yeah. I'm sure people will know what I'm talking about. The evil eye, the ones that protect yeah. from evil eye. There's a reason that people carry those around. There's a reason people carry, uh, you know, coins and iron and salt and the like, because it works. It's protective. Um, I'm, you know, get a charm that you can then, when you're in a safe space, uh, you can um, infuse and empower with all these feelings of safety and uh, protection and carry that with you. Uh, you're going to have to constantly uh, refill it because you go out in the world, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get depleted, but um, a little, make a little spell jar. You can get these tiny little jars now filled with salt and some, uh, some crystals and uh, herbs and just make a little one that you can carry. Uh, turn it into a necklace or a keychain or something like that. Um, so carrying stuff with you. Um, tea also, again, it's part of the scent, but making some peppermint tea, making some uh, chamomile tea uh, that you can carry on, that's a very awesome low-key way of working magic because people think you're just drinking some yeah. tea, whereas you know that you are using it to – you can – you can use it as a very low-key um, space cleansing where go ahead, make your tea, and then walk around the space, and the steam and the scent will then be a way to cleanse that space and make it uh, a little less um, dangerous, a little less uncomfortable. Yeah, more soothing. You know, and while you were saying that, I was thinking – Gee, what kind of scent calms me down? Oh, vanilla. Put a little vanilla there you extract go. in a little bottle. Take it with you. What a brilliant idea. I'm so glad you said that. That's so well, thank you. Really I know. And things to do. Yeah, and I know there are people who have scent, uh, um, not allergies, but uh they're they're very sensitive Sen sensitivities. Yes. Yeah. So at that point, um, you can do stuff like uh, go the worry stone route, where you get a piece of. And I'm really horrible right now because if I don't have my research in front of me or like you know the internet to look up, uh, I don't uh -huh. remember like what stones or anything. But get yourself. Uh, I always find hematite very uh, soothing for myself personally. Oh, yeah. So I have a piece of hematite that I carry in my bag, and I it's. My, what I call my witchcraft EDC, my emergency uh, carry, uh, emergency daily carry. And there's some hematite in there. There's uh, some little packets of salt from uh, a fast yep. food chain, <laughs> some matches, you know, just uh, 
you know, my little my little tiny Gerber multi-tool um, so that yeah. I'm prepared in, no matter what situation. And it all fits in a little Altoid tin. Uh, but, yeah, carry, oh, find something find something that says safety and protection to you that you can then carry with yourself. That way, again, if you're in a space where you don't feel comfortable enough doing witchy things, you have a way to do it on the down low and not have to answer questions. Nobody is going to, if you're rubbing a worry stone, nobody's really going to question you about that unless they're super invasive people, and then that's going to require a whole different kind of spell work. Uh, but, you know, if you pull out uh, a nice scent to to smell, nobody's really going to say anything about that. It smells nice. You have, you, you're putting on a little dab of oil or perfume or something like that. Yeah. No, these are, these are wonderful ideas of, of things to be able to have access to in public or in spaces where you may not feel as comfortable as you could. And these are just, you know, and a lot of the time, scents are very self-soothing. And, you know, somebody like me who has anxiety, a lot of the time, the right scent will calm me down. It may not prevent a panic attack, but it can help it ease up faster. So that's another thing that I think is super important. And we're out. Okay, so I've I've extended the show a little bit, and I apologize (laughs) because I've told you it was only going to be an hour, but I, I got to get at least one more question, if, if that's okay, if you don't mind. So That's totally fine. I, is, can, I have a few more cool, minutes. thank you. Okay, cool. All right, so last thing, and then we're going to go for the night. You have okay. in the book, okay, the scent of lemon and rosemary, y'all, okay? You've got to get the book if you want to know what I'm talking about. There is a protective store talisman that you give instructions on and, you know, what's supposed to go in it. And one of the things that you mention is a dime minted, 10 cents a dime, uh, minted before 1965 because of the silver properties. What I wanted to ask you was, I have mercury dimes from, like, the 1800s. Does that work the same way in this spell? Um, it should, as long as you're looking at the what the content of it is, um, yeah. looking up and seeing what the what the content of the reason I chose the um, that dime is because it's something that you can mm-hmm. still find in your pocket change. In fact, I had one woman tell me that she uh, went through her change and said, "Okay, Hestia, it, it was a sign for her that, okay, Hestia, if you want me to work with you, I'm going to find one of these dimes in in here." And she did. And I was like, that's like the most amazing thing ever. Um, but also because the, you, they can get, you can get them pretty cheaply if you can't find one uh, on the Internet. Uh-huh. Um, but I do recommend, uh, you know, anything with silver in it because silver is a protective uh, element. So th- that's really the, what I'm going for with that spell is having some silver in there. And the fact that the dime is kind of round, so it's kind of mirror-like, and uh, the, the circle shape is also a very protective uh, symbol and shape. So mm-hmm. if people, you know, the mercury dime, I'm not quite certain what the content of the uh, – dime that old is, I would presume that it's mm-hmm. got to have at least some silver in it. That's something you can look up online. But, yeah, I would uh, absolutely 
without any other knowledge, I would be confident in saying that, yes, it would work. Very cool. And for that same, uh, along those same lines, I want to encourage folks, use protection magic on your silver jewelry. We're talking about the properties of silver. So definitely yep. charm your jewelry. You know, we used to say when we were putting on our jewelry for the day that we were armoring up. We are. Yep. So don't forget, even if you have just a little silver ring that you wear, that can be used to protect you. Just charge everything as you need to, clean it as you need to, empower it, and uh, don't forget about your jewelry. It's, it's really important to use everything we can employ to stay safe. Rachel, you're amazing. Absolutely. I, again, you can talk another <laughs> six hours. And I, I thank you so much for hanging with me a little extra. I know I told you only an hour, but, yeah, okay, it's me. What are you going to do? Thank you. thank you so much. Well, thank I, you so I, much I, for having me. Of course. And you're going to come back and talk about your next book. So I'm pretty excited about Absolutely. that, too. Absolutely. Wonderful. I look forward to it. Okay. Me, too. Thank you again. Have a wonderful week. You as well. Blessings. Talk to you soon. Okay, everybody, that's it for tonight. I will talk to you all next week. Next week, lots of cool stuff. I've got two shows next week, too. But for now, have a great weekend, and I will see you later. Bye.